Well, this morning we are in a, a series called If God is for Us. And we are in part seven of an eight-week series. Um, we actually were supposed to do part seven last week, but um, I just, I really sensed that the Holy Spirit was leading me to lead our church in, in, in a time of corporate lament. And I've heard from, uh, from many of you that the Holy Spirit uh, really used that time to impact you deeply and to change you and to change your, your heart. And so, uh, and for that, I just give God thanks and praise. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's never wrong to follow the Holy Spirit where He's leading you. And so, we want to listen to the Holy Spirit. And so, um, so that's why we did that last week. But even as we're continuing on in this series today, you know, so much of what Romans 8 has to say, and it's going to say this morning, um, is not tone deaf to the kinds of things that are going on in our world today, the kind of things that are going on in our country, in our city, and in your, your home and in your heart. And so I just want to keep that in mind, that this idea of letting it sink in, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Which is our series kind of mantra and so we're finally at the portion of Romans 8 near the end where that verse pops up in 831. If God is for us, who can be against us? And there certainly feel like and seem like there are many people and many things that can be against us. I mean, things feel very divided right now. You may feel um, misunderstood. You may feel conflicted in your own self. But if God is for us, who can be against us? And, and if you've been with us at all throughout this series, um, you have seen in Romans 8 that this is God giving you deep, deep assurance that nothing can separate you from His love. Nothing. And we'll see that, that theme and that Anchor, just get driven even deeper this morning. And so, this morning, I want you to, to, to come to this portion of Romans 8 willing to question, to, to push the extent of God's love for you in Christ. Because that's really what this passage is going to do. It's going to ask a bunch of questions that invite you and I to question the extent of God's love. So I want you to ask yourself in your, in your heart right now, God, show me, what is the extent of your love for me? Because I guarantee you don't know the depth of it. Because Ephesians says it is unsearchable, right? But we want to go deeper. That's what we're doing this morning. How deep does it go, Father? And so, uh, with that, we're looking at Romans 8, 31 through 35. We're going to do this in three sections. All right, so section one, if God is for us, who can be against us? Section two, if God is for us, how can we know for sure? And then third and lastly, if God is for us, how does that change us? So if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, how can we know for sure? And lastly, if God is for us, 
how does that change us? And so with that, let's say our series mantra that comes from the, one of the verses in our passage this morning, if God is for us, who can be against us, all right? So if God is for us, who can be against us? Put it in the chat, say it out loud, all right? So let's jump in. So first, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like I said at the, at the beginning, um, this chapter in the Bible is all about proving you wrong proving you wrong that you think you see the things that God actually can't forgive, the things that actually make God reject you, the things that actually make God not want you to be part of his family and and make you blind to the gospel, which is this. I'm just going to lay it out up front. The gospel is this. The good news of Jesus is this, is that no one for no reason can earn any favor with God. No one for no reason can make themselves acceptable in God's sight because we have rejected him as a human race and you as an individual. And the gospel is this, that God makes a way when there was no way, that he stepped down, took on flesh, took your place, sacrificed himself in your place to pay the punishment, rose from the dead, and now lives to intercede on your behalf. So I'm just going to drop it right there. I'm not going to wait. <laughs> I'm just going to you know, wait till the part in the sermon where I normally talk about that. I'm just going to say it up front, all right? Because this is what God wants you to see. And he wants to see that, which you can think, well, yeah, that's the, that's the ABCs. I know that. He wants you to see the implications of that. He wants you to see that this is supposed to change your life. This is supposed to change how you think about God. This is supposed to change how you think about yourself, how you think about other people, your priorities, your goals, your dreams. This is, this is powerful, and this is meant to affect everything. And, uh, and it's meant to, to prove you wrong about what you naturally would think that God thinks of you, that you would think that there's something that could make God condemn me. And this is where Romans 8, 1, you know, 8, 1 started. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is nothing that you can do if you're in Christ, if you have trusted in him, submitted your life to him, made him the master of your life. And you are now following him, dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following him. There is nothing that can come against you. There is nothing that you can put forth, say, or do that is going to make God disapprove of you. He delights in you. He loves you. And we have seen Paul drive this home for 30 jam-packed verses up until this point. And after doing that, Paul just hits this point in these verses, in verses 31 through 35 that we're looking at, And it's almost like this volcano just erupts. It's just been building up to this point, building up to this point of just, he just gets to this point, verse 31, where he's just amazed. And he says, what can we say to these things? What can we possibly say in light of these things? Do you see how incredible this is? Do you see it? Do you believe it? Do you know it? Are you hearing this? 
Are you getting this? Charles Spurgeon was a very prominent preacher and pastor of the 1800s. And uh, he's, been, he's been known as the prince of preachers. Like, this man could preach. And uh, I think in large part it was due to his beard, all right, which you can see um, I'm trying to get my Spurgeon on with this, uh, I don't know what you want to call on my face, but uh, something, all right? So this is in the spirit of Spurgeon. And he, uh, he, was, he, he had this saying, and he says it a couple different ways, depending on different sermons that you read of his. And, um, but essentially it comes down to this, that Charles Spurgeon likened the gospel to a lion. And he says this, he says, a lion doesn't need to be defended. A lion just needs to be let out of its cage, right? Just let it open up the doors and let it roar. Let it be a lion. Let it rule the animal kingdom. That's what, the, that's what Paul is doing here in, in these verses, in these, in these questions that he's asking. If you will listen up, if you'll listen closely, Paul is opening up. It's like up until this point, he's been, he's been bringing you to the lion's cage and saying, look at this thing. This thing is incredible. This is a, this is a specimen to, to appreciate and to respect. And now he's opening up the doors to that cage. He's opening it up to let it reckon with you. He's asking, the, he ends up asking six questions. And these are all unanswerable, unanswerable, I can't say that word. You can't answer these questions. That's what I'm trying to say. They're questions that you cannot give a response to. They essentially shut your mouth. And they shut the mouth of anyone who would accuse you or try to condemn you. And so here's what I want to ask you as we begin to look at these questions. Are you letting the gospel out of its cage? Are you letting this force to be reckoned with that Paul says earlier in Romans in the first chapter, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation? The gospel the good news of the finished work of Christ on the cross in your place is the power of God to save you and to sanctify you, to make you like Jesus, to heal you and transform you in every crack and crevice of your life. Are you letting this force of God reckon with you? Are you letting this lion of the gospel roam in your life and consume and devour any doubts of God's love for you? Are you letting it consume any lack of love that you have for God? Are you letting it consume any lack of love that you have for your neighbor? That's what the gospel does. It turns you inside out and upside down and it transforms you into something that you could never be on your own. It conforms you into the very image of the Son of God. So let's let the lion out of its cage this morning and let's admit that the gospel is not weak. The gospel can take a beating. The gospel can take your questions, all right? So that, that whatever thing that makes you think in the back of your mind, however much subconsciously that there's no way that I could be anything other than actually really a hypocrite, 
Whatever that is, you need to let the lion of the gospel devour that. You need to let that swallow that up, chew it up, finish it. But this first question, you know, he asks, he says, you know, what then shall we say to these things? And the first pointed question he gets to is, if God can be for us, who can be against us? You know what Paul's saying with this? He's saying, if God is for you, for you to be defeated, God himself would have to be defeated. This is amazing. This is incredible. That God would have to be defeated. That that is, God is, hear this, God is on your side. Not because of you, right? But because you're in Christ. Because he has pursued you, set his love on you, and made you right. That's why. It's a, it's a free gift of his undeserved kindness, his grace. So, I'm going to stop there in this first section. And I just want you to let that sink in for a second. That God is not going to let you go down for any reason, whether it's a sin in your life or whether it's a circumstance on the outside of your life. He is not going to let you go down because he's already, if you're in Christ, raised you to new life in Christ. And he's going to finish that like we saw in last week. He's going to end that in your glorification. Your, your, your future is bright in that you will be fully and finally freed from the power of sin and in the presence of the living God, the resurrected King Jesus himself. This brings me to the second point. If God is for us, how can we know for sure? Because Paul knows that where our hearts are going to go is they're going to hear if God's for us, who can be against us? And we're just going to list off in our minds, well, X, Y, and Z can be against me. And so what he does is he goes through in the next few questions, hitting on the main things that our hearts and minds go to of like, well, this can be against me. It doesn't matter if God's for me. This can be against me. And he addresses those head on because he wants you, God wants you to have assurance. He wants you to have assurance deep down, an anchor for your soul that no matter what storm of life comes your way, no matter what storm of life comes your way, that he is for you. And not only is he for you and not against you, but because he's for you, nothing can truly be against you. So there's four things that come to, to the surface uh, and when he's asking these questions. And I just want to walk through these four things, these four proofs, these four fatal blows to the things that would attack your assurance of God's love for you in Christ. And so the first is this that we see in verse 32, that if God gave you his most valuable possession, is he not going to also give you everything else? This is how verse 32 puts it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, he not, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God the Father didn't have to give up his son. 
God the Son didn't have to give himself up. God the Father could have spared his Son, and yet he didn't. He gave him up for us all. Now here's where I think the problem sets in with this. You and I, we don't value Jesus like we should, right? Because here's what we think. God didn't give me that job, so he's holding out on me. God didn't give me that relationship, so he's holding out on me. God didn't give me that salary level, so he's holding out on me. God didn't give me that victory in that argument, so he's holding out on me. God didn't give me my health, so he's holding out on me. Listen, when we think that way, which is very natural, but is, is unhelpful and ultimately wrong, what it's showing us is that we actually don't get how amazing it is that, that God gave us his son, the most valuable possession that he had, the, most, the, the, the possession most infinite worth, the relationship of most infinite worth he gave up. He severed when Christ was on the cross so that you and I could be brought in by faith to his family. And if God gave that up, is he not also going to throw in everything else? Now, does that mean he's going to give you health, wealth, and prosperity in this life? No, but that means he's going to give you everything you need to get to glory. He's going to bring you there, and he's going to give you everything you need to get there. And in the midst of it all, like Philippians talks about, he's going to give you what you need to be content because he's going to give you the awareness of the presence of Jesus, the most precious gift that any human could ever receive. He's going to throw out everything else in. Second thing is this, that we can know that God is for us for sure because the highest supreme court of the universe has declared you innocent. Listen to this in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Look, no one on the outside can find anything in your Twitter feed from 10 years ago, from five years ago. No one can find Listen, if someone put up a secret camera in your house, right, which that's a terrifying thought, and recorded everything you did with your family, everything you did with your roommates, everything you did by yourself, no one could bring a charge against you because the God of the universe has justified you. He has made it just as if you had never done X, Y, or Z, never thought X, Y, or Z. Never said X, Y, or Z. X, Y, or Z. And as if you had always done and said and thought like Jesus did. That's what it means to be justified. And if God has really done that, which the Bible is telling us that that is what God has done, then nothing that is secret, nothing that is hidden could be brought to public, to light, that could condemn you, that could make God say, you know what, I didn't know that about them. You know what, I didn't remember that they said that, that they did that, that they thought that. 
There is no court higher than the court of God who is over the entire universe, all right? There's no lower court that's going to declare you guilty. That's how you know God is for you, for sure. A third thing that you can know God is for you, for sure, is that right now, literally right now, in this moment, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is holding his nail-pierced hands over you. Listen to this question in verse 34. Who is to condemn? Who's to condemn? Who has the right to do that? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. No one can condemn you. Why? Because Jesus died in your place. And more than that, he rose from the dead, which means what? He is alive right now. And what is Jesus up to right now? Interceding for you. He right now is intercepting all of your sin, your current sin in your life. And he is pleading his blood on your behalf. He is reminding the Father, look, they have been set free. They've been declared free because I paid the ultimate price, because I made the case closed. And again, as we've talked about, this this amazing grace does not open up permission for you to walk in sin, right? This amazing grace opens up the permission and the opportunity for you to see you don't have to live that way. You don't got to live that way. Because right? sin ultimately tears us down. It tears you down, inwardly and outwardly. It's never going to do anything else but that. And you don't have to live that way anymore because you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they would love for you to feel condemned. They would love for you to feel ashamed, even though you're not. Right? If, the, if the enemy can, can get you to feel condemned, even though you're not, He's one. Are you going to end up ultimately glorified and with Jesus? Yes. But he will have robbed so much of your life from you. And God wants to overpower that with his love. The fourth and final thing that we see from these questions is this. In verse 35, that you can know that God is for you for sure. And that nothing in this life can separate you from his love. Because he set his love on you before the world began. Look at this in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, these these things, right? Because you might be thinking, oh, it's it's that's cool that no one can condemn me, you know, no one can bring a charge against me. That's great. You know, I can't condemn myself, but there sure seems like there's a ton of things in this world that would separate me from God, separate me from God's love, that would make me feel not loved, not cared for. Violence, danger, injustice, poverty, being broken, you know, so poor you don't have money for clothes, you're naked. I mean, those kinds of real life things those things, 
might be able to separate me from his love. But listen, those things cannot because his love was set on you before the foundations of the earth. His love has been set on you for forever and nothing in this world can change that. Right? Because what we're talking about, the love of Christ goes deeper than anything that this life can take away from you, right? We've talked about that a few weeks ago, that if all you have is hope in the things in this life, then you are set up to be hopeless because this life is going to steal that stuff from you. It's going to steal your money. It's going to steal your health. It's going to steal your relationships. It's going to steal your reputation. And look, the love of Christ goes deeper than that. So nothing can separate you from his love. Do you see all that God has done for you? Do you see how deep it goes? Are you letting the lion out of its cage to roam in your life and to eat up the doubt, to eat up the insecurity, and to replace with it bold, daring confidence? Not in yourself. Not in yourself. Not that God loves you because you're some great specimen, but that God loves you because he loves you. And he's proven that and made that possible to the death of Christ. And this brings me to the third and final section of our time this morning. If God is for us, how does that change us? And what I want to do in this section is I want to give you a story, and I want to give you three um, practical things that knowing the love of Christ this deeply, knowing that God is for you, and, and that nothing can come against you, how that changes your life. Um, Corey Ten Boom was, uh, was a woman who lived in uh, the time of the Nazi regime, and she lived in the Netherlands, and uh, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands in uh, 1940. And Corey and her family were uh, devout Christians, and when the Nazis invaded, they realized quickly that, uh, yes, they were in danger to some degree, but there were those among them that were very vulnerable, that were very at risk, that were very in danger. And those were primarily the Jewish people. And so what they began to do is to hide Jewish people in a secret room, it was actually one of the walls in, in Corey Ten Boom's bedroom, they built a false wall uh, that led to an uh, area where they could, uh, they could allow Jews to live and hide in safety. And they did this for, for some time, and ultimately, um, they were ratted out. Um, and in being ratted out, the Nazis uh, came to their door, and they arrested them. Uh, Corey and her entire family, and threw them in a concentration camp, which uh, is a very uh, deadly and terrifying place to be. And in her time there in the concentration camp, uh, Corey began to, um, she wrote a lot in that time, a lot in her journal. She wrote um, some books about how she learned the love of Christ in that time. How she learned 
That is, you know, the Romans 8.35 says, you know, it starts to list off these things. Who, can, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, she literally was facing every one of those, literally. Every single one of those. And in that concentration camp, her awareness of the gospel, her awareness of the reality of God's love for her in Christ, that she experienced those things and she realized none of those things took away the love of Christ for her. If anything, those things made her realize how real it was and how powerful it was for her. And so because of those things, she, she is famous for saying, um, or she's famous for uh, the way she loved her, uh, her captors, the people who um, kept her in the, the concentration camp. She is famous for the way she forgave them. And she's famous for saying this, no pit is so deep that God's love is not deeper still. God's, God's love is, is, not, is deeper than famine, is than nakedness, than danger, than violence. And she says this, with Jesus, even in our darkest moments, the best remains, and the very best is yet to be. That has Romans 8 all over it. You know, Corrie ten Boom, she got it. And because of that, she was able to, um, to care for the most vulnerable, to risk her life for them, and ultimately to... Uh, to to know the love of Christ so deeply that it allowed her to persevere through the, the concentration camps. And ultimately, she was released when the Nazis were defeated. But there's three takeaways that I think we see from Corey ten Boom, who lived Romans 8, who knew deep down that God was for her and that no one could be against her. There's three things that I think were true of her and that can be true of you as well. One is that you can love and be loved. That you can feel loved and that you can love others. I mean, I think it's because she knew the love of Christ so deeply that she was able to love even the people that were tasked to essentially kill her, to starve her, to torture her. She was able to forgive them because she felt loved. God wants you to feel His love, not only just to know it, but to feel it. And then to give that to not only your neighbors, but even to your enemies. The second thing is this, to remain hopeful. Look, if, if not even the sword, if not even guns, if not even violence, if not even famine, I mean, there was a time during this whole COVID thing where famine was a real concern. If not even those things can separate you from the love of Christ, then it allows you to remain hopeful in the face of the darkest moments because... Just like Corey, Corey Tim Boom said, the best remains. The best remains. Whatever this life steals from you and spoils, the best remains in the resurrection. And the last thing is this, to take gospel risks. Look, Corey and her family were willing to risk their lives when they did not have to. They didn't have to hide Jewish people in their house, and yet they did. Because they knew that nothing in this life 
could truly be against them. And this is where the rubber meets the road. If nothing can truly be against you, if God's love is set on you, if God is for you, then you know what that means? You can and should risk your life. I'm not saying be risky to be risky. I'm saying be strategic about doing things with the possibility of loss. Be strategic about doing things that that would lead to possibly losing your reputation, that would lead you to possibly losing money, that would lead you to possibly losing your job, right? I mean, why, if, if, we're, totally, this is, if we're totally safe, right? That's the whole point here. If, if you are going to be defeated, it's not because a sword's going to come at your throat. If you're going to be defeated, it's not because you're going to starve to death. If you're going to be defeated, it's because God himself would have to be defeated. Then that means, who's going to defeat God? You're safe. Who do you need to risk for? What do you need to risk for? What do you need to step out and draft on the lion of the gospel following its lead and not staying pent up in the cage, but getting out, who do you need to risk for? I think obviously right now we need to risk our voice for the vulnerable, for the marginalized, for the minorities in our country, and in particular in this time for African Americans. You know, so we need to listen and we need to learn. And if you're in the majority, you need to amplify the voice of the muted, no matter what may come. So what is God leading you to risk in light of the gospel? So what we want to do in this time is we want to have a time of prayer and reflection. We're going to give you a few moments to take these verses, Romans 8, 31 through 35, and we're going to have it on the screen. And just like we did last week, if you were with us, what you do is you take those words, these words that you've been hearing right now, these words that are going to be on the screen from these verses, and God has spoken to you. That's what he does in in these words. He's speaking to you. Now it's your turn to speak back to him. And it can sound something like like this. God, if, if you are for us, if you're for me, I know nothing can come against me, and yet I feel that all these things can come against me, so help me to trust Help me to act and live and risk like nothing can come against me, right? Pray in sentences and paragraphs. Don't have to pray super long pages. If you're with other people, um, with your family or roommates, whatever, then pray out loud. Pray together during this time. So take the next few moments and use these words to respond to God. Mm -hmm. 